right, well, as a father on Father's Day, one of the things that has been just such a joy in my life is how much time I have spent plunging toilets over the years. Bet you didn't expect that one as the opening to the sermon. But we have had, as, as a family with six kids, we've had regular issues with our toilets. Like, the things, I was thinking about it this week, the things I've pulled out of toilets as a dad. You ready for this? I've pulled batteries out of toilets, scissors out of toilets. I've pulled some form of Barbie dolls out of toilets, little miniature ones, but still. Um, I've pulled, let's see, battery. I've pulled pencils. That was this last week. I pulled a pencil out of a toilet. That wouldn't work. We've taken nail polish out of toilets. And, you know, even the little core of, on the inside of the toilet paper, that ring, I've recently pulled out of a toilet. These are all things that, just off the top of my head, I think there's more. Like, it's nonstop. What does that have to do with the message this morning? Here's what I've learned about pencils and toilets. The work never stops. The work never stops. There's always something else to be done. One of the great discouragements in my life um, is realizing that when I come home from work, there's still work to be done. One of the things I've observed watching my, my wife, who primarily has been a, a stay-at-home mom, is that the work doesn't stop. Mom doesn't get Saturday. Mom doesn't clock out at 5. Um, the work doesn't stop. And so I, I want to talk this morning a bit about work, because it, it actually is something God has given us and designed us for. There's, there's a way that we can have a healthy approach to work. And then there's elements of work that are, that are difficult and frustrating. It's okay to recognize that and acknowledge it. So the work never stops. Here we go. Let's jump into this. Um, so I'm going to have several verses this morning. Many of them we'll just mention in passing just to make a point. Um, but one that I'm not going to read but would encourage you to go back and look at for a definition of work. Read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 for a definition of work you will see the work that God first set his hands to that then set the tone for everything he's done ever since. And so briefly, what I would share with you is this, a couple things we see in that passage. Number one, when God created the world, did you know that when the story starts, there's already some raw material going on? There, there is this earth that is, it says it's formless, it's, with, it's void, um, and darkness covered the deep. It was just this chaotic, dark mess. And the work that God did was to take that chaos, that disorder, that mess, and make something wonderful out of it. He took chaos and brought order. In fact, it's so essential to what he was doing that if you pay attention and read through Genesis chapter 1, God describes time in a very strange way. When he describes the work that he does every day, he doesn't say he started in the morning and ended in the evening. It says the opposite. There was evening and there was morning, and that was the first day. The very idea was moving from darkness and chaos into order. That's what work is. Then... When God rests from his work and begins to enjoy relationship with man, we turn around really fast and mess everything up. And God sets about the ultimate work of redemption. What's he doing? 
bringing order out of chaos, repairing the damage that has been done. And so a good definition for us for work is meeting the unknown and chaotic of the day, facing the unknown and the chaotic of today, and working creatively to bring it into usable, manageable order. That means when there's a pencil in a toilet and I can't get that thing to work, I got to tell you, that was an unknown chaotic event. It was something I was unprepared for. I didn't plan on getting up one morning and dealing with that. The same day that I was fixing the toilet, I go into our utility room and discover water on the floor and realize a water pressure gauge has burst and I need to replace it. That was an unknown chaotic thing that I was unprepared for. And as someone who is not a handyman, it took a lot of creativity (laughs) to discover how I could do this repair. Thank God for YouTube. Um, But listen, that's, that's work. Work actually involves an element of creativity. Some of us maybe even lean more towards the creative side. We enjoy the creative component to work. We may not enjoy the order and structure of work, but we love the creative element. Others others of us feel like or believe about ourselves that we don't have a creative bone in our body, but man, we can sit down and we can knock out a task list and we can get organized and get stuff done. But actually, we all have a right and a left hemisphere. We all were made to express ourselves creatively and we were all designed to be able to work with some order and some structure. And so at the simplest level, that's what work is. Recognizing the unknown and the chaotic that we're going to experience today and working creatively to bring manageable order and structure to life. It's what God did. He modeled it for us. And that's what we're invited into. So there's a little working definition for us. Now, why is that important? It's important because this is an eternal principle. God always intended for you and I to work. He made us for this. So let me just quickly give you some examples. Um, first of all, Genesis chapter 1 now, same chapter, down at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God, big picture, designed mankind to be fruitful in our work here on earth, to to multiply things, um, to fill them. We think of that just in the context of having children. It means more than that. That's That's a part of it, but it means more than that. We're to subdue. That means there are things that we're called to get control of. Dominion, it means rule over reign. Have a big picture perspective. So, so there's big picture ruling and reigning. There's nitty gritty details of work that needs to be done. And we're to be fruitful. We're to accomplish something with what we've been given. We were designed to experience this world through the lens of stewardship and work. We were made for it. There's a reason why on some level, Many, if not all of us, look for meaning in our work, in what we do. We look for meaning in that because there is inherent meaning in working. So God gave us that. Not only that, God gave Adam specific instructions about the place he put him. This is from Genesis chapter 2 now. I'm just going to read verses 8 and 15. 
And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work and keep. We're going to get back to that verse in a few minutes. And so there's specific, tangible, for Adam it was this spot. Here's your domain. Here's your spot. And your job in that domain is to work and care for it. Well, you and I have been given that. You and I have been given areas of influence. We have our families, our homes. We have our jobs. We have the community that we live in. We have been given an area of influence. And we are called to work it and keep it. Again, this is all before the fall of man. This is just stuff God intended when things were right and good. Not only that, I want to highlight this early on in the message, but rest and work go hand in hand. A week or two ago, we were in Exodus chapter 20, looking at the command for Sabbath, where we're told to rest. But even in the command for Sabbath, God does not neglect to mention work. Genesis 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Part of what gives meaning to the Sabbath is that I've done work on the other six days. Sabbath has its meaning, its value, its joy even, because I've earned it. Entitlement actually rips us off from enjoying the rest that we can earn. There is, there is actually this dance between work and rest. They go hand in hand. If we are just slothful and lazy and restful, it's actually not satisfying. It can even be depressing. But on the other hand, if we're just nothing but work and go all the time, it drains us, it zaps us. God intended for us to work and rest. There's a rhythm of life where they go together. Um, now, so you don't think this is just rooted in some Old Testament stuff, we can skip ahead to the end of the story. And in Revelation chapter 22, God is describing kind of the culmination of, of human history. And we're now in heaven enjoying everything that he has intended for us. And in Revelation chapter 22, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. This picture is painted of what a glimpse of what life will be like in his presence. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. So it's, you see a picture of rest, of refreshment, of healing universally. God's doing this beautiful thing. Verse 3, And there shall be no more curse. That old curse is gone. That curse from the fall, it's gone. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. He intended from the beginning for us to experience work. He intends for us in heaven to experience work. We're not going to be bored in heaven. I don't know what picture you have, but if you think you're going to be floating on a cloud and playing a harp, I don't think so. And actually, that image has always been kind of like, is that really what I want? 
Like when I think about having a day off around here, do I think about floating on a cloud and playing a harp? I don't. Maybe somebody does. I don't know. Listen, we're going to do meaningful, valuable work in heaven. This is hardwired into how God made us. He designed us for work. The problem is that little hint right there in Revelation 22.3. The curse will be removed. The problem with work is that it has been tainted by the fall of man. Check this out. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to specifically look at what God had to say to Adam as a result of the fall. Genesis 3.17, And to Adam he said, Because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Work became something of, it went from work to labor. It's going to be hard. The things we set our hands to, they're not going to work right. When When I think I'm done with something, it's going to start falling apart immediately. That new car smell, that new car you just bought, give it a little time. That thing is going to need all kinds of maintenance and it's going to have problems. Life is going to be difficult. Work is going to be difficult. Even even just earning and providing bread to eat will cause us to sweat and labor. Um, Christina had a funny quote. I don't don't remember where she got it. I don't know if she said where she got it. Yeah, she saw it on Pinterest or something. We're in staff meeting this week and Christina was joking. She goes, yeah, she goes, Somebody pointed out on Pinterest, laundry is a direct consequence of the fall. Like the first thing that happened is they were given clothes and immediately laundry had to set in. Like, I love that. I mean, it's just a hilarious little observation, but like, it's so true. There are all of these things that we just face as if they're reality, but they're not what God originally intended. He actually designed work to be a good thing, but the curse has messed it up. Now, everything else we're going to talk about this morning, I don't want to give you any false promises. Work's going to be work this side of heaven. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a labor. It's going to be difficult. But I do believe what we talked about last Sunday. Jesus provides rest for us. There is an ultimate work that he has done, and it is the source that we now can live and work and rest in him. And I do believe, while we're always going to deal with the consequences of the fall until he returns, while I do believe that to be true, I also believe we can begin more and more to cooperate with the truth. We can align our lives with the reality of what God intended. And so, I've got four things we're going to look at this morning, four perspectives as we approach work. I'm going to give about five minutes to each of these. Four perspectives. I don't think they're the only four, but I I believe they are four perspectives that will give us a healthier approach to how we handle work. And I would encourage you, one of these, two of these, maybe even all of them, you'll feel like you're doing. That's great if you are. 
But I would allow these to be a little bit of a, of a test, a litmus test to go, God, is there an area here where I'm off a little bit? The reason that this morning's message ties in with rest is I believe that part of what rips us off from experiencing rest is how we approach work. And if we have a healthier perspective on how we approach work, it enables us to properly enjoy the rest that God's intended, all right? So let's dive into this morning. Four perspectives on work. Um, I do wanna say one more thing before I start. Each of these are not meant to be heard by themselves. So if you hear me say one thing in point one, just hold on, because <laughs> there's four points and they work together, all right? Point number one, work is about providing. It's about providing. At one of its simplest levels, we work in order to provide. Back to Genesis 2.15, there were two ways that Adam was, was given to describe how he was going to maintain or take care of what God had given him. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to work it. He was going to produce something out of that garden. He was going to take all the elements that were there ready to sustain him, but he was going to work to enable that fruit tree to produce fruit for him to eat. He was going to set his hands to work in order to produce something. This is a New Testament concept. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul's writing this letter to the Thessalonians, and he's talking about not only how he lived when he was with them, but, but an invitation that he's calling them into. It's more than an invitation. It's a challenge. He's saying, I'm telling you it is right to set your hands to work. Check this out. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. You know, man, we think about sin and like avoiding sin and not spending time around people who are doing these like obvious sins that maybe we would identify as really bad. Paul's saying, be careful that you don't hang out with people who are idle, who don't work, who are lazy. Watch out for that. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. In other words, we could have shown up and done ministry and y'all could have tithed or whatever, and that, like, that's something God has laid out. But he said, but we didn't do that. We chose to roll up our sleeves and go to work. And so we were working while we were spending time ministering to you in order to imitate this lifestyle. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. You don't work, you don't eat. That's biblical. I knew that before I read this verse, mostly because I heard it from my dad a lot growing up. <laughs> you don't work, you don't eat. I experienced it when I moved back home after a year at school, and they said, hey, cool, glad you're back home, awesome. You got two choices, get back in school or start paying rent. Those were the choices they gave me. They're like, you're going to pay rent to be here. 
if, if you're not going to go to school. And it was just a continuation of something they'd modeled to me my whole life. Uh, you don't work, you don't eat. Work provides. It provides. Um, listen, I just, I just have to say this. There is this mentality in our culture that wants to find our passion and make that our work. And we have an age group that is coming up, that's into adulthood now, that feels like my work has to be what my passion is, or I won't be fulfilled and I won't be satisfied. Now, I'm going to talk about finding your passion and finding meaning in work. I think it's important. But I'm just telling you, your job that puts food on the table, it does not have to be your passion. If you're able to do that, awesome. Go for it. I'm doing that now. But I didn't for a long time. The first six years of ministry, I was working full-time at a steel plant in Nashville. And I did youth ministry on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights outside of work. Something that I was passionate about, that I felt like had real meaning in my life, I did it outside of earning a paycheck. I worked at a steel plant to put food on the table for my family. I've lived this. One of the essential elements of work is providing, and it gives it inherent meaning. Listen, I, I'm all for the like, don't spend your life working for the man, you know, stick it to the man. Like, do something of value yourself. Great, that's awesome. But do you know if you're going faithfully to a job day in and day out and you're putting food on the table for your family and putting a roof over your head, you're not working for the man. You're working to care for and provide for your family. That, that has inherent value. My dad's been able to do some cool ministry stuff later in life, but I'm grateful that for 25 years, he was just a hardworking, dedicated guy, Monday through Friday, not even nine to five, a lot longer hours than that. He got up and he worked hard. And we were pretty, you know, middle class, lower middle class, I would say. I was actually surprised when I took Amy back to the house I grew up in in Houston. I was like, oh, we were on the lower side of middle class than I realized. But I didn't feel it like as a kid. I was cared for, I was loved, I was provided for, I had what I need. There was value in the work that my dad did. Work has meaning when we recognize it has meaning. When I set my hands to work and recognize this is providing something, I've got shelter, I've got food to eat, I've got a wife, children to care for, it gives it meaning even if it doesn't have this deep meaning. Does this make sense? It's an important perspective to have. Don't neglect. Man, it's awesome that we have a job. There are places in this world, many of them, where there are folks ready to work, willing to work, and there is no work available. There's nothing. We've spent significant time in the Dominican Republic, and we've gone out to these sugarcane villages where immigrants were brought in from the other side of the island. Haitian immigrants came into the Dominican Republic side and they were put to work in these sugarcane villages and they were provided a hut to live in and then automation came along. And these, these people, are, poor people, are just, they're abandoned in these sugarcane villages now. There's no work for them. Machines are doing it all. They don't even own the huts they live in. And they're looking for someone that can help them catch a motorcycle ride into town to do some menial task to just try to put some kind of food on the table. 
It's a privilege that we live in a culture where we can be creative. And many of us can, can work and fulfill our passion and see those go hand in. That's great. But it is a privilege just to have a job and to be able to put food on the table and provide for our family. And if we could approach it that way and view it as something we are grateful to God for, God, thank you that I live in a place where I can go get a job and I can roll up my sleeves and I can get to work. There is value in that. There is meaning in that. We work to provide. Something I've discovered over time. If I, if I am only gonna be satisfied in my work, if it's what I'm passionate for, I've discovered something. You can't eat passion. There's a reason the phrase starving artist exists. <laughs> you can't eat passion. You may eventually be able to do something that you love and provide for your family, and that's wonderful if you can. I'm able to do that now. I'm thrilled to get to do that. I'm also willing, if need be, to roll my sleeves up and go mow grass if that's what's needed. All right? Work is to provide. If your work doesn't fulfill you, at least it can fill you. If you don't remember any of the rest of that, remember that. If your work doesn't fulfill you, at least it can fill you. All right? Work provides. That's point one. Okay. Number two, work is caring for our domain. Work is about maintaining and tending to that which has been entrusted to us. Back to our Genesis 2.15 verse. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That, that word keep, it means to tend, to care for. That means there are things that, that we work and earn that we now have, and our job is to take care of what we have. Adam wasn't just called to work the garden. He was called to take care of it. Things don't stay great. They break down and they wear out. The house my wife and I own now is the, my favorite house we've ever had, and I hope we're there for a really long time. It's also the oldest house we've ever had and has needed more work than any house. I've done more repairs in the last six months than I think I did in the first, whatever, 15 years of marriage. Like, it takes a lot of work. But I'm grateful for it. It's something God's placed in our lap that's been handed to us. But if, if we don't tend to it, it will continually break down and not work. One of the most discouraging things in, in my life I had a long season of life where my expectation was, I'm going to go to work and work hard, and I'm going to come home, and I'm going to rest. That is not the right mentality to have. That mentality ripped me off for a long time, and I stayed continually frustrated because, to me, home was rest. Home can be a place of rest. We need to set aside time to rest. But I remember voicing this frustration to a, a friend of mine, really a mentor in my life. And I remember he looked at me, he said, your problem is you're clocking out when you leave work. And he said, when your truck pulls into your driveway at home, you need to clock back in for a while. And you need to come home and walk in the door and love your wife and love your kids and be present. And you need to help out. And I did not like that advice. <laughs> but it was important advice. They're things we've been given. Some of them aren't things. They're people. And listen, I love my children. I love my wife. But my kids and my relationship with my wife require some work. I have to tend to them. I have to care for them. I have to be present. 
And so part of our work is recognizing there are things within our domain that we've been given, and it takes work to maintain them and tend for them and care for them. And so moms, y'all already know this more inherently, moms that stay at home, you already know this more inherently than we do because you don't have that arbitrary time slot to clock out. You're always doing this. But it's, it's still a mentality we can choose to have versus something we suffer through every day. Does that make sense? Now remember, this is in the context of a larger sermon series, okay? We need rest. And some of us that don't have those set times to clock in and clock out, we have to be purposeful to create rest. But I'm just saying how we view the work matters. I'm providing, I'm maintaining, I'm caring for. Proverbs 18.9 says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Are you letting that sink in? Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. If we are not careful to tend to the things that we were called to tend to, they will break down and be destroyed. There are marriages that break down and are destroyed because they're not tended to. And we, we, we get shocked when 20 years in, 25 years in, something devastating happens. They, they need tended to. They need cared for. Practical things that we can see with our eyes and relational things that may be a little less tangible. They require tending and care. We need to opt in. A great picture of this is the woman described in Proverbs 31. I mean, I can't think of a better example in the Bible of someone who just says, I'm gonna roll up my sleeves and take care of what I've been given. A glimpse of that is found in Proverbs 31, verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Caring for what you have is work. Come home to work, then rest. If you come home to rest, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. Let's let's look at what we've been given, the jobs that we may go to, the home life that we have, and recognize we have an opportunity to provide for that, and we have an opportunity to care for and tend it. When those two things are in proper balance, we can rest. When I've worked hard and I've I've cared for what I've been given, I can rest. Now, the third point is essential. It ties in. Some of you guys are sitting there going, man, I do that. I do those first two points. I work hard. I don't stop. I maintain my house. I provide for my family. I work hard. That's great. There's a third point. (laughs) We work so we can enjoy. We work so we can enjoy. We were meant to have time for people and fun. We work to create that opportunity. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 22 this is a great, there's a, a lot of great reflection in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, it, there's different ways to view this book. Um, you know, it talks about, you know, vanity and man, there's all this stuff we do and it just seems kind of meaningless, but there's actually a lot more depth to Ecclesiastes than just this generic, well, everything's meaningless. I don't know what we should do. There's some really good reflections. And I would encourage you guys to maybe even sit with this book a little bit more and reflect on meaning and work. But I'm going to give you a glimpse of this. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 22. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? 
For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. He's describing the curse. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. Anybody ever been there? Even at night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. We got to stop and smell the roses. God, God designed us to eat and drink and enjoy. Jesus was actually accused of doing too much of that. <laughs> you ever thought about that? He got accused over and over again of hanging out with sinners and having meals with them. Jesus even told his disciples his last night on earth as he's heading towards the cross and you know, he's doing this really meaningful thing with the bread and the wine and there's, there's something beautiful there. And there's a reason we regularly as a church stop and acknowledge the body and blood of Jesus and what it means. But in the midst of that, do you know what he said? He held up the cup and said, I can't wait to drink this with you again when I come into my kingdom. One of the, one of the great themes of scripture is the marriage supper of the lamb. God, God is gonna bring us out of our toil in this life and seat us at his table and there's gonna be a spread. And we're going to enjoy and celebrate each other and him. And there's going to be food and there's going to be oh, wine. Gasp. He, he made us to enjoy our labor. We might be killing it on points one and two. But if we don't stop and enjoy it, we're missing it. We're missing it. We're meant to slow down and enjoy some of us are so busy working that that work is happening in vain because we're not able to stop and enjoy it. Play is an essential part of life. It connects to work and rest. One of the ways we recharge is having fun with each other, spending time together, enjoying what God's given the writer continues to reflect on this, and in the next chapter, he roots it firmly in eternity. This is now chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? He's having this same reflection. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. There are things we just don't see. There are mysteries we don't understand, but he's placed eternity in our heart. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. There's no amount of work that we can do that's going to add to what God takes care of, nor anything taken from it. So when I slow down and rest, there's not some gap or lack. God has done it so that people fear before him. The reason we're able to slow down and find enjoyment and satisfaction along the way is because in the grand scheme of all eternity, God's got it covered. He's done it. He's on top of it. There's work that needs to be done to provide. There's work that needs to be done to tend for what I've been given. But also, neither of those things will ever stop. They'll always be there. 
And since they'll always be there, I need to set aside a time to enjoy the fruit of what God's given. If I, if I just spend my life laboring and working to provide for my family and then go, well, I hope they're enjoying it, I'm missing it. I need to enjoy it with them. We were meant to slow down and enjoy the fruit of our labor. One, one of my favorite movie scenes is from the Shawshank Redemption. And there's these prison workers that have been just, you know, they do all these odd jobs at the prison. And so they get this opportunity to tar the roof of some building. And so they're working out in the sun the whole time. And the main character in the movie, without explaining the whole scene, um, does something for one of the prison guards. And his only request is that him and his buddies can have a couple of beers after working out in the sun all day. And he just says there's just something about working outside in the sun and then having a bottle of suds with your buddies. And when the moment comes and they finish the job and they get the beer, he's just sitting there in the shade and he's not even drinking. And one of his friends comes up to him and offers him a beer and he goes, that's all right, I don't drink. He understood the power of stopping and enjoying. In a prison, he was able to say, sometimes you just gotta stop and sit and be. There's power in that. There's life in that. We've gotta learn to stop and slow down and enjoy why do I work? Who is it for? Let me be present with them and enjoy it. It's an important component of work is enjoying it. Okay, ultimately, number four, we can work with purpose for something that has meaning. We can work with purpose for something that has meaning. We were made to live with a purpose. The scripture says, for lack of vision or purpose, the people perish. We we cannot live our whole lives with just the first three. In fact, you can do just the first three apart from God. Maybe not well, but you can do them. To some degree, the American dream is some balance of the first three things I talked about. Work really hard, provide for your family, and then enjoy it. We've just described the American dream because we're missing number four. We are called to do something of inherent value and meaning. We have purpose. We're already, in and of ourselves, how God designed us, inherently valuable. But we were made to contribute something of value to this earth. We were made to do that. And as much as I emphasized in point one that our purpose, our value, our meaning doesn't have to be wrapped up in the job that puts food on the table, we still have to do it. We need it. We can't survive without doing something of meaning. And so we need to be tuned into what are those things that God has placed inside of me to do? Where do I add value and meaning in this life? What's my purpose? And we need to walk in that. And listen, this is mysterious ground. Like I can't map this out for you, but there's some markers God has given us to find this. And so I wanna give you a few of these to consider. Um, number one, what are your spiritual gifts? What are those things that the presence of the Holy Spirit has brought into your life that you're just, you're wired by him to do? If you let those start playing out in your life, you're gonna find meaning and value. If God's made you to be an encourager and you never speak life or encouragement to anyone, you're putting a cork in that lid and you're gonna bust. I, 
I had no idea I was ever going to get up and speak or preach to people. I never intended to do it. I never wanted to do it. I didn't like public speaking. I radically fell in love with Jesus. And I began to open up my Bible just by myself, hanging out in my room, and it was like jumping off the page at me. And I just felt like God was speaking all this stuff and he was lighting me up. And so I was, I was just trying to live it and do it. But I started to get this sense of like, I gotta do something with this. And I remember coming across Jeremiah and he talked about how God's word was like a fire inside of his bones. And I was like, that's it. That's this weird thing happening to me. I, what do I do with this? And I remember telling my pastor this is how I was feeling. And that's when he was like, I think you should teach the middle school Sunday school class. Like, oh man, I don't feel very qualified for that. But if you think I can do it, okay. Encouragement, teaching somewhere in there was something that was just stirring inside of me. I didn't even have the terminology for it yet. God's given us some inherent gifts and abilities and we're meant to use them. And so, man, pay attention to the spiritual gifts described in scripture. Talk to God about them. God, are there some of these that are just burning inside of me? What can I do with them? How can I love the people around me and use these gifts? There's natural talents and abilities that you have. There's acquired skills that you have that you can use to bring meaning in life. And then there's just those things you're passionate about, those things where when you hear about them, you just light up inside and go, man, that's important. I'm supposed to do something about that. Pay attention to that. Sometimes we feel like because I can't do the big vision, I can't do anything. Find small, meaningful ways. My wife and I felt very called to orphans in our life. Early, I think even before we were married, we were already talking about adopting at some point in time. We didn't know what it would mean or what it would look like. Well, we didn't just wake up one day and decide, finally, today's the day we're going to adopt, and that leads us to Micah, whose gotcha day is this week, 10 years. Love you, buddy. Yeah, man. <laughs> it started with all these little things. It started with we had a picture of a kid who needed a home and put him on our fridge and just prayed for him to find a home. And then our kids being motivated by us going, hey, we could donate towards that cause. Little, little seeds like that. That's something we can do. We can pray. We can donate. And then it did eventually, what we walked a road that led us to adopting our son. I'm just saying, like, sometimes we think it's got to be this big, huge thing, but there's meaning and value in, in small ways, small things. Find that stuff that stirs you. Ultimately, here's how you find your purpose. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The most satisfying, meaningful work is joining God in the work he's doing. You know what's eternal? People. And so if I am participating with God to touch the lives of other people, I am doing something with inherent value and meaning. There, there are people who for three years running now have gotten up on Sunday mornings and show up to set this stuff up. You want to talk about something that can feel meaningless and purposeless? But the people that are doing it are thinking about the people that are going to walk in these doors and go, I'm providing a space for people to come and hear about Jesus and have an encounter with God. And so it's worth doing. We can find meaning and purpose 
when we view life through the lens of that which is eternal. If we treasure those things, we can find ourselves doing things of meaning and value. I want to close with this quote by my pastor, Steve Berger. He preached a great series on this at one point in time, but, but the, simple, the simple little phrase has always stuck with me. And the phrase is this, have your heart in heaven and your hands in the harvest. Crystal, you were already saying it before I started, right? Because you know. Have your heart in heaven and your hands in the harvest. If we view life through the lens of the eternal, we can find purpose and meaning and value in the day-to-day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you help us to have proper perspective on work? God, would you help us to reflect on this? Lord, to see is, is something missing or out of place? Am I frustrated at work because I've been looking to get something from it I'm just not going to get? God, can I view it through the lens of a gift you've given me to provide for my family? Lord, am I frustrated or worn down by tending and caring for that which you've given me for my home? God, would you help me to have a sense of purpose that this is a part of life, caring for, shepherding, maintaining the gift you've given? God, maybe we're working hard, working ourselves to the bone even, but yet, Lord, we're called to stop and enjoy the fruit of our labor. We're called to be present with the people around us. We can work and we can play. We can enjoy. God, help us to do that. Lord, ultimately, God, I pray we wouldn't just find ourselves robotically going through life, but Lord, we would find value, meaning, purpose in the work of our hands by seeing what's eternal and then tending to what you've placed in our hearts, gifts, talents, abilities, passions that you've given us. What a joy, God, that we could join you in the work you're doing to redeem mankind and love people well. God, help us find this this balance, this rhythm of work and rest. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.